Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to introduce uh, again the director of the film, Tim Wardell, and to Mark Park. second time watching the film in the last 24 hours. Um, <laughs> it really stands up, as I'm sure you're aware. Um, there's an awful lot in the film, and it's a film that you know, I've been thinking about an awful lot in the last 24 hours. There's an awful lot I'd like to tease out and to talk about. One of the things that I really, really love about the film is how open it is. You know, it's not a film that ties everything together neatly in terms of your own take on things there's an awful lot to 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 leave in the mind um, these are things that we'll come back to um, and i'd really like to open things up to to the audience so if you've got questions please do think about them especially if you're a twin we'd like to hear from you um, but i guess uh, as is traditional i wouldn't mind just going back to the start um, in terms of where did the film come from and what were your own this what what really interests me is what were your own expectations going into the film as the film became? So, um, yeah, I was, I was the kind of ideas guy for a company called Raw, who've made other films like The Imposter and American Animals. Uh, and um, in that job, you just get very jaded and cynical. You see a million ideas every week. People bring them in. You're just like, I've seen that before. I've seen something like that before. Um, but this one, uh, a, a young producer, Grace Hughes Hallett, brought the idea in and instantly it was, it was apparent it was probably the greatest doc idea I'd ever come across um, because it, it, it worked on different levels. First, first off, it had a great uh, human interest story at its heart, quite a tabloid story of these brothers and their families separated and then reunited. Um, but then it enables you to answer these much bigger, or discuss these much bigger uh, philosophical almost questions about nature versus nurture, free will, destiny, uh, the nature of family. And so I think that um, it's just unusual for docs to work on that, that many levels. And it was just, it was just a, such a great, compelling story. Mm. Um, and. It's, it's funny you mention a couple of those films and the, the jaded cynicism that I absolutely share in terms of a, a lot of... There's a lot of bigger documentaries out there where, where they're told in the past tense. You know, these are all things that happened 30, 40 years ago. Um, and you can almost imagine that the proposal that goes to the funders can describe the film exactly as it's going to be. Um, whereas this film felt like it went... There was a certain amount of that for the first half and then it went somewhere else. Um, so I'd like to ask both of you, and particularly Michael, seeing as you're the local guy doing good, um, uh, we just talk us through the, the, uh, the evolution of the film, you know, because it would have been quite easy to deal with events up to, what, 1997, when the, the reveal kind of happened, and to encapsulate it there, and that's quite a safe film to make. So, you know, talk us through the evolution of yeah. it. I mean, well, I mean, I'd actually given up on working in documentary at one point, and then... Christmas Eve, I think, one year I saw The Imposter, and, um, which is very similar to this. I don't know if many people have seen it. And it, it really blew me away, and that's what brought me back in. So I wanted to work with Raw, because I love that style of storytelling, the past narrative. But when Tim got the money to make this, or when, when, you, when you tried to get the money to make it, I think the funders in the UK wouldn't give him the money because they said, we don't know the ending. Is that right? Um, so we had to figure out, in the, well, you had to, Tim went to America and got funding elsewhere in America, but 
It's very difficult. The film is two very different styles. It's the past narrative storytelling where they tell you everything that happened. And then there's the second half when Bobby gets up and David, they both get up out of their chair and literally walk out of the interview space. And then we're watching it unfold as it's unfolding today. And that was always the biggest challenge in the edit is how do we make those two, those two work? Um, I still don't know how we made it work. <laughs> I know. Yeah, how, how we made it work is that Michael said what we need to do is have them get up and walk out yeah. of the interview. You know that wasn't. I, well, we, what actually happened? I didn't film that on purpose. Yeah. So yeah. Well, like, what actually happened was we couldn't figure out how to do it, and then I gave up. Like I gave up on documentary a couple of years ago, and I got off the table and said, I'm, "I can figure this out. I'm, I'm kind of at a loss here." So I got up and walked away, and then I was like. That's exactly what these guys need to do. Just get up and walk away from that space. And what, what it does is it kind of makes it, it's kind of like a decompression section between these two very different styles of documentary making. Yeah. And it, it makes the interview space into a kind of observational real world space. Um, and it really, because those two styles, as Michael says, are so different. The past tense stuff, you can cut really tightly. You can almost script it like a kind of Hollywood yeah. film. You can really cut it tight. The, the, whereas the actuality, the present day stuff tends to play a lot looser. Um, and it's a lot, it feels like just a lot more, just, it, it's just there's a lot more fat on it. So making those two work was a real challenge, but you know, you managed yeah, to find a way. But I, I think it's, there's, there's a divergence there in that you go into something that's more actuality and, and less predictable, but you also go into slightly more abstract ideas. And, and I think that's what really worked for me, is that the film is entertaining, it's a driving, you know, it's a ripping yarn. Um, and then it's, it's out, almost out of nowhere, it, it takes on all of the ideas that have been bubbling away in your own little confused head as a viewer. And, and I feel this does them justice. Was that something, did you go into it saying, this is interesting, but there are philosophical questions, I'd like to explore that? Or was it something you just found yourself, found yourselves discussing and seeking to answer then as it went? Well, I think on day one of the edit, when, when Tim sold me the idea to make the film, we didn't have that discussion at all. We had no, no. discussion about nature and nurture. You told me the story about, Tim told me the story about the triplets and, and the experiment. And then on day one of the edit, when I went in, because Tim had done all these shoots, you'd done all these uh, interviews with people, um, he turned to me and said, I think we can make a film about nature versus nurture. And I thought, you, you've lost your mind completely. Like, it's too big of a thing to make here. But, as I started watching the interviews, I realised he, he was really onto something here, you know? Mm. I, I think it's really interesting what you're saying about the, that final third, because I, I always have mixed feelings about that. It's My wife's favourite part of the film is that last third. It's much more the it's much more kind of ideas-driven, as you, as you identify, rather than... I think some people who are really into narrative are a bit like, oh, it, you know, it, it wasn't... You know, the narrative wasn't quite as quick there. It was more about, you know, this theory or that theory or whatever. Um, but, I, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think that... I. We did find the film, I mean, there's this famous phrase, I can't remember who said it, some American documentary maker said, if you end up with the same film you set out to make, then you're not doing it right. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. Um, and documentaries are unique in that they get, you, you find the film in the edit. You know, um, scripted films, drama films, generally, the reason you, they spend ages writing them, they take so long to get off the ground, is they do all the editing at the writing stage, and then they just shoot pretty much what's on the page, and they kind of piece it together. Whereas... Documentaries, absolutely, the edit is just the most creative bit because it's where you take all these elements and you try and make them work. Um, so I think I, I had some idea um, that Nature Nurture would be interesting to explore, but it really it did come out of the edit and that we were able to do it without, um, without really having to have too many kind of talking heads come in and say, 
Let me tell you a bit about nature nurture. It was more like inherent in the, in the story. But, and did you have your own opinions going in then, vis-a-vis -vis biology and, and parenting and everything in between? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the million-dollar question, I guess. Like, um, we flip and flop a lot, don't we? As, I mean, there's so many strong arguments in, in, in the film, and even in the, in the footage that we didn't use in some of the interviews, there's some really compelling arguments for nature and nurture. Like, so... I don't. I still don't. I mean, Tim, you just had two babies, so it's not, not twins. Not, no, no, no. <laughs> about about three years apart. That's how long this project's been going on. Um, but um, no, I mean, look, some stuff has also come out come out since the film has been made. So you know, the the, the, the experiment you see that at the producer on the film, Becky Reed, she's a sort of journalist by trading, and she did an amazing job of getting access to the brothers' notes, although they're heavily redacted. And stuff came out of that that we had no idea about going in. For example, um, that Eddie, Eddie's, it turns out that Eddie was adopted by another family before the Gallant family. So he was adopted by a different family. It was a failed adoption. He was kind of handed back. And so that makes you think from a nurture perspective, wow, how much of an impact must that have had? But then as Michael says, yeah, I also had things like I had a, a, my son, my first child when I was making the film. And he, was, he, he came into the world with such personality. And I, I genuinely didn't know that. I thought babies were much more like kind of blank slates. Um, so that was that pushed heavily for the kind of nature side of things. So I think the whole way through, it was kind of a constant process of just kind of going back and forth between these two uh, possibilities. And I'm not sure even now that I've quite resolved in my head. But I definitely haven't. <laughs> but, but I think in fairness again, and not to give you too many compliments, but I think that's, that's one of the strengths of the film is that you're not banging a drum, you're not saying this is our thesis and we're going to cleave to it. You know, you, you embrace the ambiguity and offer that ambiguity to the audience and the audience then takes that ambiguity, turns it over in their head. Um, because I don't think there are any easy answers. But That's very kind of you. I mean, I think when it started on the film, and I think both of us maybe felt this, that, that we needed to tie everything up in a neat knot, yeah. get the, you know, the box open and find out everything that was in there. And, and if we didn't do that, we'd have failed in some way. And what... I came to realise making the film is that actually the documentary not having all the answers at the end is not a bad thing. If something, if, if it makes people, if people are frustrated that the brothers didn't get the answers they wanted and want to go away and look it up on the internet or find out more about it, then that's that's a good thing. It's like a call to action. Whereas in a drama film, I think you would be a bit like, yeah, oh, come on. Exactly. This isn't a movie. You know, it comes across as a movie and it feels like for the first half, it feels like an 80s movie. And but it's not, this is real life, like, so it has to be open-ended by the end, it has to ask questions. If we, if we think we've answered questions, I think we're in trouble, you know. And, and, and I think you're actually right, you know, that, that footage at the end that you see, that literally Michael put in the last day of the edit, we've got the actual experiment footage, that black and white stuff you see, and Michael's sort of going, out, Michael, we've got to recut the whole film because I want to put this in, but actually just putting it at the end, which is all we had time to do, it just really grounds it in a reality at the end, and you're like, oh, you know, you really, like, this really happened, These, you know, this isn't just some crazy story, you know, this is real life. And I think, again, what's, what's great about the ambiguity is that one gets the sense, and I could be wrong, um, that the scientists themselves were not as open-minded about what they were looking for. Did you get the sense, or have you learned from the material that's been released since, that they had a particular thesis? You know, was there an arrogance that, you know, I mean, the whole thing is dripping with arrogance, but um, was, did you find that, that they were setting out to prove a particular I don't, from the notes we've got, they haven't kind of proved exactly what they were. Obviously, as they said in the film, they were looking at parenting and the influence of that. But I think the, the study documents we've got, it's a weird mix of like the data, um, like hard scientific data, like 
birth weight and um, IQ and birth order and all that kind of thing. And then, like, basically kind of psychobabble about, you know, phallic stages of development and um, uh, object relations theory. And they're trying to kind of measure these kind of quite obscure Freudian theories uh, scientifically. And I'm, I'm not sure how, ultimately, how valid that, that stuff can be. They amassed all this data or they were amassing it all. And I don't know... I don't know how much it, it kind of added up to much. And it's certainly true that some of the stuff I've seen suggests strongly that that nature is really significant and a lot more significant than they expected. Going into this in the 60s, it was believed that nurture was really, you know, by far the most dominant force at play here. And I think it shocked them. You can see that it shocked them how how powerful nature is. And, you know, yeah. the scientist, in the, sorry, the, scientist, the journalist in the film, Lawrence Wright, is a famous American journalist. He... <coughs> one of his theories about why the study was buried is actually not because it was a PR disaster, but actually because it was undermining the entire basis of kind of Freudian uh, psycho psychoanalytic theory, which is that you know the mother's relationship with the child is absolutely key, and they were finding out, oh, nature is much more important than we thought. And so Lawrence suggests maybe they buried it because it was kind of going to do them out of the job effectively and make it look like their entire careers were kind of a bit of a waste of time. I, I, it's a nice theory. I don't believe it, but it's interesting. And just talking about things that were believed in the early 60s, to what extent was it believed in the early 60s that doing something as odious as splitting up triplets was a valid undertaking? You know, one is always shy of using the morals of today to judge the past, but can you just talk a little bit about the context of that? Like, were they outliers in, in what they were doing? I think How do we judge them? <coughs> it is difficult to judge them. The 50s and 60s, they, they're like what Lawrence Wright, again, he calls the Wild West of psychology. You have all these crazy experiments like the Milgram Obedience Experiment, you know, I don't know if you know about that, but the, or the Stanford Prison Experiment. Mm. And it was kind of like, whenever you get a, a science, a new science pushing the boundaries of what's possible, I think you always get scientists crossing a line. It's probably going on right now with like artificial intelligence or genetics or something that we don't know about. And in 20 years, there'll be some people sat up here going, oh my God, I can't believe they did that. But um, I think what is true is that, that other people, at, at other agencies, they approached other agencies for kids to take part in this experiment and were told, no, you can't, it's completely unethical, you can't split um, identical siblings up. So it wasn't like they didn't know. But I do think it's worth bearing in mind that these are not, um, these are not bad people per se, the people running this. They were like, I mean, they're very liberal people. They were all like heavily involved in civil rights and the women's movement. Um, and, you know, Neubauer, Neubauer was the father figure of, father of child psychiatry in America, did a huge amount of good for, for kids in America. So I'm interested in that. Like me and Michael made a previous film um, about one punch cases where people, you know, effectively decent people kill someone, get in an argument and kill someone with a single punch. And it's like, what happens when decent people do a bad thing? Um, what's the line? Yeah, there's a line in the, that we didn't use in the film that says, uh, it's Lawrence Wright said it's called noble cause corruption, which is that, you know, not everybody's born evil, you know, they don't set out to do bad things and, and uh, we don't necessarily think that he did and that was the area that we were always interested in the edit, is that grey area between good and evil, like, where he set out to do something good, I mean, he, he really did, like, but lost himself on the way, whether it was ego, I mean, what you thought it was something else? I, no, I think you're right. I mean, I think like ego, you said, I mean, the whole thing is slightly dripping in arrogance. I think if yeah. you're the doctor that proves nature nurture one way or the other, you become the most famous psychologist in the world. So I think for me, that was the biggest thing he probably got blindsided by. But like Lawrence Wright, yeah, believes maybe it was more, you know, a genuine 
desire to further scientific understanding. And your own, like that, that your, your rather generous embrace of that as a grey area, of a moral grey area in terms of the, the scientists, was that in any way shared by uh, the people most affected, Bobby and David? Absolutely not. They think they're evil Nazis. Mm. Which, which I, look, and, and to be honest, I, I think our producer does a little bit. And, you know, my wife is Jewish and she finds watching it incredibly tough because the idea that, you know, Jewish doctors were involved in doing something like this so close after World War II and what Mengele was doing at, at Auschwitz with twins, you know what I mean? There are real strong echoes. So I think, you know, it's not like, you know, there, there, was, there was a lot they should have been aware of, even if they, even if they weren't. Um, I just, I guess maybe I just like giving people the benefit of the doubt. Um, but, and, and see them as corrupted by, not by a noble cause, but just by human, you know, arrogance, which I think we all, you know, in pursuit of something that we really want to do, maybe not to this extent, but, we, you know, people bend rules all the time, you know, to try and get ahead, and, you know, I think that's, that's human. Yeah. Um, I want to... I, all I said is I want to, and a hand flew up the um, What's this? Can we, do we have a roving mic? And so, yeah, the man's back, please. Uh, thank you. I have two questions. Um, on the interview, um, how much, or what percentage of that was uh, edited, as in, you know, what we've seen and how much of that did you need to edit? and not, not show, for whatever reason. And second of all, how close are the two guys now? Well, uh, I think the guy, the trip, the, well, Bobby and David's interviews, I think he shot about six to seven hours with each of them. It was only one or two interviews with each. So Tim had a good idea before he went in what, what kind of things they were going to say, and then they, they did. They did their own thing from then on. But we used, yeah, I'd say it was about 20% of the interviews, I think so. I mean, the, the, the thing with this is that, which I've never come across before, is that Tim shot 14 interviews, and we used 13. And in a documentary, that's very, very um, rare. Um, but these guys, I mean, they're uh, like, we're only as good as the story we tell, and, and, and we're only as good as the characters that are in our documentary. Like, they're such good storytellers, like especially mm. David and Bobby, but, but everybody else around them as well. Is you know the way they tell a story, it was impossible to, to drop any of them, and, and we didn't need to. We, we needed them as part of the story. So, um, I, I, did, I, did, I was just going to say, I do think it's a, like Michael says. There's something just in American culture about storytelling. It's just like in you know, like I, I speak as an Englishman. Like most English people, even if they've got a story they really want to tell, they're really desperate to tell it. There's sort of this. Oh, I've got to be, you know, pretend I don't want to tell it. And you have to, as a filmmaker, get past that. It's really boring and annoying. Whereas with Americans, it's just like out there. It's like, yeah. I got a story, I'm going to tell you it the best I can tell it. And it's not like they all want to be on X Factor or whatever. It's just that they, it's just there's no shame in it. You know, like, and, and, and they know they've grown up on cinema, they've grown up watching TV, and they're just like, I know how to tell this story. And I've, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, all of them were just great, yeah. the great story. I think it was the first day of the edit, it was Bobby. What we did in the edit was I seemed to cut it in the order that the film was played out. We seemed, for some reason, we did that. I think it's because Tim had so much preparation done. But Bobby started telling the story on the, on the first day in the edit, and this never happens. And I thought, I mean, this is a winner alone, just to hear the way he told that story. And he's told it so many times. Yeah. Like, 
But, but Tim was able to get it fresh from him. I don't know how he did it, but he was able to kind of make him tell the story like it was the first time he'd ever told it. Like, but I, I hope that comes across. I, and I think, you know, having conducted an awful lot of interviews in my time, um, that is very much down to yourself. You know, it, it is about being the, the right person. <coughs> but there is, an, there is something that you do do, which is, and I'm wondering, did you ask them to do this, which was to tell it chronologically without spoilers. You know, one of the most... The, there's, a, there's a massive part of the film which you know, is very present there, which is Eddie's absence over the first half of the film. It's a film about triplets, where's the third guy? Um, but we don't know, but it's this haunting, you know, it's almost a prefiguring of the darker second half of the film. Is that something that you said, we're going to just hold off on spoilers? It's weird. I, I didn't specifically about those kind of things, but what I did say is that we're trying to go through it in the moment as you experienced it, and that's very much, you know, one of the things the film does is it forces your perspective as, as the audience, you know, so we experience what, everything as they experienced it. We, information is revealed to us as it was revealed to them, and documentaries don't often do that. They, or, you know, drama is very concerned with point of view and who's telling the story, whereas docs tend not to be so much. And I think, again, that's something we, we learned on the previous film, that that point of view is absolutely key. Mm. Just in answer to Jonathan's other question, just about the boys' relationship, um, it wasn't good when we were making the film. They weren't really talking to each other, which made it pretty tricky. Um, I mean, that scene where you see them together, that's the first time during the filming period that we saw them together. But um, one of the lovely things about showing the film has been that it's brought them together, and it w really wasn't something that we expected. They were asked by an audience of very early screening in the US, you know, where's your relationship today? And they said, well, look, it's a work in progress, but the experience of, of sharing the film has really kind of brought us together. And the, the lovely thing is also that they're, they've all got um, daughters, all of the triplets, and, and they're in their early 20s, and they hadn't, because the family's been so fractured, they hadn't really hung out. But um, since the film's come out, they've spent a lot of time together, and they're, they're cousins, but they're the equivalent of half-siblings, because their fathers are identical. So one of them said to me, you know, like the bit in the film where they talk about them wrestling on the floor like puppies? She was like, that, that was what we were like when we got back together. Um, so that, it's been an unexpected consequence of the film, which has been really nice. Very good. Um, yet there's a bit of writing in the middle. Um, can we get a mic, please? Can we just wait? Can we just start again with the mic, just so that everybody? Exactly, yeah. I think you're being very charitable when you attribute the motive of wanting to push out the boundaries of research. I would see it much more as the corrupting potential of power and the way that they viewed uh, these vulnerable people as lesser beings and with fewer rights. So, I, I think, can I just say, just very quickly, I, I think, you're, I, I mean, look, I agree with all of that. I mean, I do think it's a film on one level about the abuse of power. It absolutely is, and don't get me wrong. And maybe you're right, maybe I'm being too generous. I just, I can kind of see it both ways, but certainly I don't think they viewed these children particularly as, uh, as on the same level as, as them. Yeah, and particularly given that they, that they were from a Jewish background, they should have been particularly aware of the horrors of the... Uh, the psychological experiments done on children in the Second World War on Jewish children. And a uh, final uh, question for me is who benefited financially from the research and where does the, this Wiseman Foundation or whatever it is stand now legally and do they still exist? Good question. Um, I'm not sure anyone benefited financially. No one really knows where all the money came from. We found that um, some had come from the uh, National Institute of Mental Health, which is a government body. Some came from a wealthy Jewish um, set of twins in New York, elderly couple, which is a bit ironic. Um, then there were um, uh, th there were all kinds of other funding, very murky funding um, areas that we don't 
really um, know about. In terms of the organisations, Louise Wise Services, the adoption agency, they shut down in the mid-90s. And the reason they shut down is they were being sued by so many people because essentially they were taking mothers who were in psychiatric institutions and taking their children off them. There was a real shortage of uh, babies, particularly uh, Jewish babies in New York for adoption at that time. And they would adopt them to these wealthy families and charge a lot of money and they would say, um, they would give a, a, an edited uh, history of the, of, the, of the birth mother and say she's a high achieving college graduate who plays the piano and speaks five languages, which is all true. What they didn't say is she's been in psychiatric institutions her entire life and has been lobotomized, in some cases even, you know, sexually assaulted in the, in the, in the uh, institutions, which is how the, the children have come into existence. And um, what would then happen is these families would raise these children and a significant number of them in their teenage years developed mental health problems and the families hadn't been warned or hadn't been given any information so didn't know what was going on couldn't really support them and eventually found out information about the, the truth about the birth mother and then started suing the the, the um, adoption agency so that closed so the only organization left really is the jewish board of family and children's services who is this, this massive institution in, in new york they get 300 million a year from the government to run social services in in new york and they are the people who kind of control access to the study but have been very um, unwilling to engage with us or with any attempts to open it until now. Um, another, any other questions? Um, yeah, just there. Um, just while the mic is going, I just thought the, the one letter that was read out that came from Louise Wise Services, which is not from the lads, birth mother but the, 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 the women, um, the first adjective that was used to describe the birth mother was intelligent, you know, which is, shines a light even on the very value system, the very prism through which the foundation looks at people to, for that to be, you know, that's such a subjective thing. Um, and they presume it's important. Yes, please. Um, first, just thank you. My mom saw the film a few months ago in the States and loved it, so I was excited that I was coming here. Um, so I'm Jewish, and being Jewish was a huge part of my childhood. Um, so I was wondering, kind of, with each of the, uh, the triplets, how big of a part it was growing up in their upbringing. And then if that kind of bonded them more, or if they were at different points in the religion and their religious practices, kind of. It's, it's a good question. I think they're quite they're quite secular. Is the truth of it? I mean, they have bar mitzvahs, but I don't think they're you know it, religion has been a huge part. Of that. They got asked at Sundance, how is your to how is your extent to what extent has your religion been a support for you through all that you've been through? And they were just like, it hasn't. Um, but I think you know, and for me, this is the thing. It's always I've always seen it as a universal story um, about abuse of power, about family. Um, but, you know, as I say, having a Jewish wife, I have to recognise that Jewish people react very strongly to the film. And so, you know, we've included the references to the Holocaust and, and, and those kind of things. But it, it, to me, it's, it, it, the fact that they're Jewish was not uh, something that I was particularly focused on. But, uh, you know, Jewish audiences really do, understandably. Um, <clears throat> uh, there's a, I'll just go back here. The third row down from the back, please. <coughs> to be sending the mic to such awkward places. Yeah, um, what I took away from it was the universality of it. You know, the Jewish aspect hadn't actually struck me. It did, and the Holocaust part and how you could do experiments on twins was very much very obvious, you know, in my mind. But for me, um, from a personal point of view, discovering I was adopted very late, um, I'm, I'm more curious in knowing the nature-nurture thing, and it brought up a huge amount of 
questions of identity, you know, how you, could you do that to somebody, you know, um, the separation of the three babies, you know, and the mental illness, you know, my question is, did that come because they were separated at birth, you know, and it's not just twins, I think it's a, it's a generic, and I think our own country has a lot of stories around this, discovering siblings and whatnot, even to this day, so... No, it's a really good question. It's one that I ask myself all the time. You know, it's it's a massively flawed experiment because, um, well, look, in the, in the study, um, the notes that we've seen, the, the scientists are all sitting around discussing notes, and the, you know, the meeting, the minutes of the meeting, and they're all going, "Wow, all these children seem to have you know behavioural issues and mental health problems. Like, I wonder why that is. Is it is it because there was like forceps we used in the birth delivery and things like this? At no point do they kind of go." Maybe it's because we separated them. Maybe that had a big impact, you know. And I, it's impossible to split those off and know how much the, the separation caused and how much the, um, you know, uh, in, uh, natural um, tendency towards mental health issues that they had. It's, it, it's really impossible to know, and it's why the experiment's so flawed. I mean, I do think back then in that, that, those era, that, that era, they didn't have as much knowledge about the, uh, how important the, um, just the early stage... Um, development of siblings, identical siblings is, you know, now we've seen like ultrasounds and they're sort of playing in the womb, you know, and so it, it began, it, it, their relationship began even before birth, but I think that, um, I, I think either they were completely ignorant about the damage they were doing or, you know, they were, they were not wanting to put anything down on paper so they could deny it in, in the future. Um, I think we have time for maybe two more quick questions. Um, we'll go here, please. Um, and just while the microphone's going, um, I'm going to ask you in a few minutes about uh, would you do a follow-up? Would you? Don't think so. <laughs> I, I mean, well, I only worked on it. Like, we've been working on it. I've been working on it for two years. Um, okay. But Tim, you've been working on this for six, seven years. Um, I think. I, I mean, I've made three documentaries since this has been finished. Oh, yeah? So I kind of have to move on and get paid. And, I'm just touring the world. Tim is touring the world like with um, And I show up from time to time. Uh, like this, from the Happy Mondays. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I, 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 it, it depends. We'll have that conversation when, when we'll cross that bridge or we'll burn it. When, when, when we'll I, I think, I, I'm hoping we'll work together uh, but hey, on, on something nice. else. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe a drama or something like that. Yeah. Um, I'll come to the question. Yeah, sorry, I was just wondering, you know, the, um, the funding that came from a lot of the Jewish community, were the other adoptive or adoption agencies Jewish only as well, or was it spread out to uh, the so, so all the children came from that one adoption agency, uh, which was a Jewish adoption agency. They approached a Catholic adoption agency in New York, um, and he's on record, in that tape interview that, he, that he's given, there's the, one of the sisters he approached and said, you know, can we have children? And she said, what... What God has put together, no man should split up, or something like that. So, you know, it was clear, clear that other people were saying, you know, they shouldn't be doing this. Um, but he was, Newbau was very good friends with the woman who was in uh, this chief psychiatric consultant at the adoption agency called Viola Bernard, and they kind of cooked it up together, really. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, it was, it, was, it was only this one adoption agency, as far as we're aware. Um, we have time for one more question. So, there was one at the back that uh, I wanted to come to. Um, the researcher that you got on record talking about 
uh, the study said that he was one of the, he was the only one that would go on record. I was just wondering how hard was it for you to find somebody to give that side of the story, and how important was it for you to get that side? Great question. Really, really difficult. Um, when we set off to start making the film, we did we had no idea we were going to find anyone, and then. Um, the key person actually was, uh, you know, Becky, the producer, found Natasha, the slightly crazy lady in the way. Who's. Forrest Gone. Yeah, and I love that sequence. You know, the sequence Michael's cut with them. You know, her, here are some of my buddies, and she has all these people. <laughs> Picasso? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. No, okay. <laughs> she, she, is, she is one of the more, most extraordinary people I've. I've ever met or interviewed, but what I loved is that actually in this film, you know, you've got her and then you've got Aunt Hedy, who's David's aunt, who's a, a woman of a similar age, Holocaust survivor, and they're kind of opposite ends of the moral spectrum of kind of this, the, the, the kind of thematic argument in the film anyway. And um, yeah, I, when we got her, we were like, because Becky found it, but we didn't even know if she was still alive, and Becky called her up, had seen some little article she'd written, and um, and we were really nervous because so many people had turned us down and so many people, you know, I mean, th we found out very early on that there have been three attempts to make this story before by major US networks, you know, the equivalent of like Newsnight in the, in, in the UK. And then every time it got a certain way through and they've been shut down by people further up the, up the networks. And so Becky calls this lady and we're really nervous, like, oh, you know, what's she going to be like? She's like, oh, yes, come around for tea, I'll have you around. And so we were like, oh, my God, we've got to fly over there quick to... You know, from London to LA before she uh, before she dies because she's old. Um, she's she's like a microcosm of the whole film. Like she kind of sucks you in at the start with her humour. Like you yeah. you like her, and then all of a sudden you, you realise what she's saying, and it's, yeah. it's like the film as a whole. It kind of sucks you in at the start with a lot of humour and fun. And yeah. Halfway yeah. through, you think, oh, how did I get to this part? How did I get to this? And place? She, she pops up right in the middle. Right in the middle. Yeah. Right in the middle. It's, it's interesting. Also, I found you know audiences in Europe. Uh, have been much more interested in her. In America, yeah. they're sort of like, oh yeah, you know, people are like that. Whereas, in, you know, in Europe, everyone's like, what? You know, yeah. she's with the Obamas and she's like yeah. got Picassos and she's like some kind of crazy scientist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think just to wrap up, I think the two lads here are doing themselves um, playing down their own excellence in terms of distilling those characters and presenting them in a way that they do feel kind of so fully formed. You know, there's, that, there's an awful lot of work. That's very nice. I mean, that is my con. I'm not just, again, saying this is here, but the, the pace, one of the, one of the things I'm most proud of the films are pacing and the, 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 the way the information is revealed to you. And that is an editor's craft. That isn't, you know, it wasn't even something consciously that I realized he was doing, but the pacing is just so good. And in America, people keep saying to me, how, it's amazing, the editor, how many films he's cut? And I'm like, this is his first feature. And then they said, well, how long did he have to do it? It must have been a year. And I'm like, uh, 18 weeks. Oh, really? So, yeah, it was, he yeah. cut it so quickly. So I was told in Sundance when I met all these guys that had done, like, hundreds of feature docs. They said, you know, how long did it take? And when I told them 18 weeks, they said, you're not allowed to tell anybody that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're running a cartel yeah, here. Your so, to be fair, they work quite long weekends and... Yeah, yeah, I worked pretty hard. I missed, I remember Ireland, Big Wales. Yeah. Uh, uh, because I was in the edit with, with Tim. And I thought this film better get to Sundance. So. <laughs> and Tim is Welsh. So. There you go. Listen, um, the film is, there's an awful lot to think about, an awful lot to talk about. Um, and hopefully you can all help that happen with your tweets and social media and everything else because the film opens on Friday um, and will be running for the week. Um, I think it's a great fun and delighted to be to be part of this evening. Big round of applause, please. <laughs>